0: Home Run Derby great? I can't believe, insert thing that happened, happened. Alright, I'm recording this on Monday, it's Tuesday, so I didn't actually get to see the Home Run Derby yet. I can't wait. I can't believe you guys already know what's going to happen. I'm very, very jealous of that. We've got our first of two guest pods out today. We'll have another one on Thursday. Today's has a very interesting conversation with Ben Lindbergh on the... Uh, Various, the various data involving uh, the juiced ball theory and uh, very persuasive. I think you're going to believe in the juiced ball after this interview if you don't already. We've also got CBSSports.com's own Jonah Carey for a very fun interview in the second half of the show. So make sure you listen all the way through. We'll get to those. But first, sports trades are scary. One person can be replaced by another, exchanged for money or given away for a hypothetical future person. Once they leave your team, you can't like them anymore, even if you have their jersey, which you can't wear anymore. Except at beat ups, they won't judge, but others might. Buffalo Wild Wings, Wings, Beer, Sports. And here's the interview with Ben Lindbergh. Thanks for listening. All right, we've got Ben Lindbergh from The ringercom also uh, has been found at Grantland, previously 538, co-author of The Only Rule is... It Has to Work, The Ringer MLB Show, The Achievement Oriented Podcast, which got me back onto to Pokemon Go over the last few days, so thanks for that. Ben, how's it going?
1: Great. Happy All-Star break.
0: Yes, it's nice to get a little break. I'm enjoying the uh, the time off. I'm going to take Tuesday off. Heath still has to do uh, a bunch of football stuff, so he's the, uh, he's the big loser in the room. But if you're taking <laughs> off tomorrow, then I kind of get a day off, too. Fair. All right, so Ben... Uh, I wanted to talk to you. We've seen this uh, this home run surge. There's been a lot of talk about whether the ball's juiced, whether it's the fly ball revolution, a little bit of both. And you've done some research at at the Ringer. There was a, I guess the first bit of it came out at 5:38 last year. What was your first inkling that there might be something going on with the ball?
1: Well, just the fact that home runs were up so dramatically and and so suddenly, and it's not just that this is a record home run rate and that we're seeing more home runs hit than ever, but that this is also the most rapid rise in home run rate ever. We've never seen an increase this quick. And we do know in some past years, there have been times when we've seen spikes in home runs and we could trace that to the ball or at least we strongly suspected that it had something to do the ball to do with the ball and Of course, it's always the first thing that crosses your mind because when a change happens almost overnight, seemingly in 2015, when this home run spike started, it's hard to come up with a scenario where anything else could be responsible, really, because even if you're someone who thinks it could be PEDs, if you think it's player approach, if you think it's pitchers throwing harder, well, those things all might play some role, but they don't change as dramatically and as quickly as we saw home runs change. And so- The ball is maybe the one thing that stands out to you as something that could fit that timeline.
0: And the timeline is basically the 2015 All-Star break, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And before that, in 2014, we were talking about scoring being at its lowest level in the majors since the mid-70s. And there was a lot of hand-wringing about what's baseball going to do to bring offense back. and. Then, and then all of a suddenly sudden- and <laughs> seemingly conveniently to, to some people, although I am not myself a, a hardcore conspiracy, conspiracy theorist on yeah. this issue, I think it's possible that the ball could have changed without an intentional change, without some sort of plot from above. But certainly the timing is somewhat suspicious, which I, which I think has fueled some of the discussion about this.
0: And the juiced ball is basically, or the quote-unquote juiced ball, I guess, has been basically blamed for everything bad in baseball over the last couple of years. Like, rise and pitcher blister occurrence has been a mm-hmm. big one over the last couple of weeks. Marcus Stroman went off. Justin Verlander has as well. Uh, it's been blamed for some of the pace of play stuff. It's been blamed for Logan Morrison's return to prominence. So, <laughs> there's a lot bad going. What's the evidence that the ball might be juiced?
1: Well... Of course, aside from just the circumstantial and yeah. statistical evidence and Rob Arthur, my co-author at 538, who has continued to do his own research on the home runs and the ball uh, at 538 since I left there, we found that we just couldn't explain what we were seeing any other way. We looked at changing talent levels and, of course, there were a bunch of young prospects who came up to the big leagues all at once and maybe that had something to do with it or maybe it was the pitchers throwing harder or throwing more meatballs or all these other factors maybe it was guys hitting more fly balls to stay out of the shift etc etc and we just couldn't find anything you know temperature weather we went through everything we could and we couldn't find anything that would account for the bulk of the home run shift and so That is maybe the evidence that we started with, but then we've done some direct testing on baseballs and my co-author on a recent article at The Ringer, Mitchell Lichtman, purchased some game used balls and sent them to a lab where they were tested very precisely. And those tests of balls from before and after the home run surge seemed to show some significant differences in the circumference of the ball, in the seam height, and in what's called the coefficient of restitution or the core, basically the bounciness of the okay. ball. And the balls were a little bit smaller after the home run surge. The seams were a little bit lower and that core was a little bit higher. And when you put those things together, it did seemingly explain a lot of what we were seeing as far as balls being hit harder and traveling farther. And, and that's some of the research that Rob Arthur has done at 538, looking for evidence that the ball is carrying better. Mm-hmm. And he found that that's
2: now, it seems like we've heard more the last couple of years from pitchers coming up to the major leagues about how they had to get used to yeah. the new
0: ball. Jose Barrios mm-hmm. is a great example of right. that. He, he said a lot of his struggles last year were because he was using the minor league ball in his side sessions, and he credits some of that to doing to switching to the major league. So
2: ball. In, in the minor leagues, are they still using the ball that major league baseball was using two years ago, or is it, have the balls always been slightly different? Do you know with it?
1: Yes, they've actually been slightly different for some time now, possibly forever. They're manufactured in different places, both by Rawlings and roughly to the same speculation specifications. But the MLB balls are manufactured in Costa Rica. The minor league balls are manufactured in China. And they do have some slight differences in seam height and that sort of thing. So there always have been differences in the balls when you go from the minors to the majors. But In the past, we haven't seen dramatic changes in power when guys have gone from one to the other, and we have seen that more and more often when guys will come up to the majors and all of a sudden they're hitting more home runs than they ever did in the minors, and that sort of raises a a red flag because you expect it to go the other way.
0: So something we've noticed is that hard hit rate has gone up around baseball. 30% used to be uh, roughly average. Now it's around 33%. Is that something you would expect to see given a change in the ball? Yeah, that could definitely be related.
1: And hard hit rate, that's a a human is making that designation, right, Is, is watching the play and saying this was hit hard. If you look at StatCast and exit velocity readings, we also saw a big increase right around when the home runs were coming up. And people have done research that shows that that exit velocity increase basically explains the entire home run jump that we saw in 2015 And the question was, well, why are balls being hit harder? And one possible reason for that is because the ball is different. And as I mentioned, the the coefficient of restitution, the bounciness, that would cause a ball to be hit harder, even if the swing is the same, the pitch is the same, everything else is the same. So yeah, I think that's consistent with the idea that there's something different about the ball. But as I've taken pains to point out in my articles, I think there are more than one factor here there when you see a a result this significant and this dramatic it's likely that there isn't just one single cause that explains everything perfectly and i think if there was some change in the ball say in 2015 Well, we've continued to see a rise in home run rate since, and this year's is higher than last year's, which was higher than 2015's. And maybe there have been subsequent changes to the ball, but I think that probably we're also seeing a change in approach by the hitters who maybe have noticed that the ball is carrying better and it's being hit harder. And if you see that the ball is carrying farther, then it's to your advantage to hit it in the air. And so we've heard a lot about this fly ball or air ball revolution and, Maybe it does have something to do with the fact that we have data for this now. We have StatCast. We can look at launch angles and quantify these things much more precisely. But I think it also has to do with just this larger change and that maybe it's not so much the cause of the initial home run spike as it is a symptom. It's a, a secondary effect. It's a response to that first spike that we've seen.
0: And there's been some concerns about this changing the game into more of a three true outcomes game. What has MLB had to say about it?
1: Yeah, I would say that's true. And and personally, I don't think this is a problem that the ball is different. I think we might be better off the way we are now than we were in 2014 when no one was scoring and no one was hitting home runs. I think fans largely like home runs, which is something that MLB has said they've found in their own surveys. So I think they don't want the appearance of having meddled with the ball and sort of putting their thumb on the scale and As I said, it's very possible that they didn't, that these changes in the ball are small enough that you kind of put them all together and they add up to a significant result. But it could just be some slight change in the manufacturing process, some machine, some personnel change, the balls are still hand-stitched, maybe something very slight change there inadvertently and, and without anyone noticing. So I think that's entirely possible. But yeah, MLB has said consistently that they have tested the balls, they put out a, a memo a couple of weeks ago that showed that the balls they claimed were the same in 2017 as they were in 2016, which was sort of a strange time frame to choose because no one was really arguing that when we're talking about the ball being different, we're talking about a difference from say 2016 to 2014, so 2016 to 2017, you're comparing a very high record home run rate to an even higher record home run rate. So I don't know that that necessarily cleans uh, any of the suspicion, and and also they've said consistently that the balls are within specifications, which again can be true, but doesn't rule out the idea that the ball is different because some of the legal limits for a baseball are very wide and. By the admission even of MLB's own official ball testing facility, you could have two legal baseballs and one could travel 49 feet farther than the other, hit in exactly the same conditions just because it's at the upper end of the allowable range as opposed to the lower end of the allow- allowable range. So when a legal baseball can be you know, something very different at the upper end than it is at the lower end, the fact that it's still within that code doesn't really tell us all that much.
0: So when it comes to the conspiracy theory angle of this, you know, you can look at it one way. You can look at it like, well, they've made all these small changes to to make it so that nobody can notice. Or you can look at it and say, well, it's just a bunch of very small changes that have led to this larger outcome, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think you could interpret it in two ways, right? The fact that it is just these small changes in a few different aspects of the ball, you could say, oh, well, that's brilliant. That's devious. That's a an even better conspiracy that they didn't just change one aspect of the ball in some dramatic way. But yeah, I think probably the more likely takeaway from that is that it could go under the radar, it could go unnoticed even by MLB much more easily just because it's a slight change to the circumference, it's a slight change to the seam height, it's a slight change to the core, as opposed to a giant change in one area that would very obviously show up in any test
0: if this were to change in the future, what would be some of the leading indicators to keep an eye on? Would it just be a drop in home run to fly ball rate or what?
1: Yeah, I think it probably would be that how we first noticed that this was happening was just as simple as, hey, more home runs are being hit. (laughs) So it doesn't take anything too complicated, I think, to see it. And then we delved a little bit more deeply and we saw changes in exit velocity and, and all of that. So I think we would notice it fairly quickly as we did when it changed on the, on the other side of this in the other direction, but it does definitely have some implications for fantasy and for real life baseball, maybe to a a lesser extent. I think, Maybe the the main takeaway here is that, as we know, strikeouts have continued to rise, and maybe that is in part a response to the ball being different in that hitters are swinging for the fences because they are being rewarded for that approach, and so that tends to lend itself to strikeouts. But, of course, we've seen strikeouts increase, I think, 12 consecutive seasons now, something like that, and and it's just a a larger trend over the course of, of baseball history, really, and I think that right now we're being bailed out of essentially another dead ball era by the home runs and and possibly by the ball, whereas in 2015, strikeouts were less frequent than they are now. So if we were suddenly to go back to 2014's home run rate and keep the strikeout rate what it is today, then we would really be seeing 1968 levels of scoring, like a a much higher percentage of the runs today are being scored on home runs than before. So if suddenly something changed with the ball and home runs went away, but everything else stayed the same and and pitchers kept missing bats the way they have, then we might see a a dramatic drop in offense. And obviously that would be very noticeable and possibly bad for baseball from a spectator perspective. But yeah, what you're talking about, we've just seen this democratization of – dingers and it's just a more egalitarian distribution of home runs now it doesn't look like things did in the so-called ped era when you had guys hitting 60 and 70 and there was this huge variance between guys now we're just seeing less of a spread and no one is really challenging any records right now on an individual basis but everyone is challenging records on a collective basis and so yeah we're not seeing anyone on pace for 60 even judge right now but we're seeing seemingly everyone hit 20 you know and so you do have to take that into account i think when you're drafting when you're planning your fantasy team obviously there's less of a premium on power now than there once was and i think that that new distribution is consistent with the idea that there's something different about the ball because there is a fly ball sweet spot a distant sweet spot where fly balls are more likely to turn into home runs just because of how deep outfield fences tend to be. And so if you're someone like Judge who's hitting the ball 495 feet now, well, with uh, (laughs) the—right, yeah, exactly. With the old ball, maybe that goes 460 or 470 or something. It's still way out of any ballpark. Whereas if you're a guy who had warning track power before— And suddenly you're reaching that sweet spot much more consistently, then you're going to see a much bigger boost in your home run totals relative to the guys who were at the elite end of the scale already.
0: And there are obviously some concerns about the league, like we said, turning into a three true outcomes league, everybody moving towards the same kind of player. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think that's... uh certainly a legitimate perspective. I, I tend to think that we're not close to the point where that would be a, a big concern for me. I, I think we, we see a, a lot of articles about, you know, baseball's an all or nothing game and the way we're going, there won't ever be a ball in play. And I, I think that we focus on these things because we're watching baseball and we're looking at leaderboards all day and we're hyper aware of these changes in every rate. But I think if you look at it, kind of over a longer view it's not all that dramatic really if you break it down on a a per game basis for instance you know you you go back say 20 years and I think it's just uh two plate appearances out of every 20 or something like that are are more likely to be a, a strikeout walk and home run today relative to that time and I don't know that we would necessarily notice if we just had to you know brought someone in forward in time from 1996 and say, here, watch a game in 2017, they might notice that the game's a little longer. And that's uh, another trend that MLB is, is trying to work on, of course. But as far as the, the balls and play, I mean, we're still at a point where strikeouts, home runs, and walks, the three true outcomes that everyone is stressing about, collectively represent one third of the outcomes of plate appearances. So they're still very much the minority. We're still seeing balls and play Be hit most of the time And to me it's just not an imminent threat We've seen baseball change Dramatically across the years And I think if we were able to freeze the rates in a certain way, if we could all survey baseball fans and agree this is the optimal way that baseball should look and and we could just set every year's strikeout rate to be like that, I, I think we'd get tired of it. I think we like change and the fact that we can look back in baseball history and say, oh, the, this was the 80s, this was when everyone ran, and this is the PD era, this is when everyone hit home runs. I, I think that adds a, a richness to The analysis of the game that we wouldn't have otherwise. So for now, I like home runs and I don't really mind strikeouts all that much because you know if we're trading bouncers back to the pitcher and routine grounders to second base and routine throws and a guy jogging down to first base, it's not as if every ball in play is exciting and you're on the edge of your seat. And I think there is a value to watching some unhittable closer like Jansen or Kimbrel come in and and just have this you know epic showdown with some power hitter who's swinging as hard as he can. And even if that doesn't result in a batted ball or a ball in play, I think there was still entertainment value there in
0: seeing those two guys face off. Okay, what's one player, who's one player who will be better in the second half than they were before the All-Star break?
1: Well, I think probably Kyle Schwerber is an easy answer, right? I, I mean, it would, right, exactly. And I think when they sent him down to AAA, he immediately started raking. We know he can hit maybe he was screwed up by expectations or hitting in the leadoff slot at the start of the year maybe there was some bad luck mixed in there I think he's too bad he's too good too talented to be a, a below average hitter so I think that's a, a fairly obvious call but if you're looking for reasons why the Cubs might get out of this funk one of them is that Schwerber should be better than he has to this point
0: point. and on the other side who's one player who'll be worse in the second half
1: Well, probably an equally obvious pick, and we've sort of been waiting for this to happen all year. But Jason Vargas, right? All star for the first time at almost 35 years old. And, you know, he's been great, whatever, 17, 18 starts. He's got a a 2.6 ERA, I think. And that obviously has value. But I think, you know, when you look at all of the, other more detailed stats and rates there just doesn't seem to be that huge an improvement there and I I know that maybe he lowered his arm slot a little when he came back from Tommy John and maybe his changeup has been more effective but you know he's just not striking out guys more often he's not really walking guys less often he's not getting more grounders he just doesn't seem to be really doing anything different on a granular level and so I think a lot of this is probably sequencing and he's happened to have a lot of success with men on and runners in scoring position and I just can't see that keeping up.
0: So a weird thing that's been happening this season is all these guys who were big prospect busts, but who were like top prospects in 2009, Logan Morrison, Justin Smoke, Elvis Andrus, Yonder Alonzo, uh, which of those guys do you actually buy moving forward?
1: Well, I think Andrus has started last year, right? He's He's hitting just about as well as he did there, so... I guess he would be maybe the the most dependable if you want to say that he's broken out and that he's been an above-average hitter now for, I think, about 900 plate appearances. So that seems fairly real, and we know that he's a good defender. So I think that might be the top of the list just because of how long he's been doing it. I think Smoke has a, a case here just because we know that he has had power all along. He had fairly encouraging StatCast stats last season, and and if you just looked at his launch angles and his exit velocities, they seemed to portend better things ahead, except that he couldn't make contact consistently last year. So even, he, even though he was hitting the ball hard, he wasn't hitting the ball hard often enough. And this year, he's just dramatically cut down on his strikeouts and raised his contact rate. And... Those are things that tend to be fairly meaningful in small samples. And I don't have a perfect explanation for that other than that I think he has said he has just had a, a more moderated approach and, and not tried to swing for the fences as much. But whatever the explanation, that seems somewhat real to me, at least looking uh, forward at the second half. All
0: right, we've got some of the, uh, the dumb debates that we do on the podcast. What's your favorite cereal? Oh, gosh. Uh, I I think I'm a
1: simple cereal guy, just like a raisin bran and milk. Is Moneyball a top five
0: sports movie?
1: Huh. Gosh, I, I don't know that I would put it up there this soon. I think I need more time. Excellent movie. Certainly the best baseball movie we've seen in a while, other than maybe Everybody Wants Some from last year, which I liked a lot, but I can't quite put it that high in the Pantheon yet
0: is Aerosmith a good band?
1: Uh I would have to say not particularly. I think I, I think the hits are good but they're they're so overplayed that I think it's hard for them to have the same impact that they did the first time you heard them and they're just not quite my taste but uh, I don't know. They're not a replacement level band. I'd I'd say they're they're certainly above average as bands go, right? But they're they're not really one of my favorites.
0: Okay. All right. Do you like raisins? Are raisins good?
3: Uh
1: lukewarm on raisins. I'll have a raisin from now and then. I have raisins in, in raisin brand, right? But uh but they're not my favorite part of the raisin brand. I like the brand better.
0: And last silly
1: stupid question are peeps good? No. Peeps look good and they smell good and you think they're going to be good and then you have one and it's sugar overload. And
0: uh, for me, at least, it's it's too much in a, a concentrated dose. All right. That was Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ringer.com uh, is where you can find his stuff. Also, uh, The Ringer MLB podcast, uh, achievement-oriented video game podcast. So Make sure you check out Ben's stuff. We'll get to that interview with Jonah Carey in a minute. But first, Indochino is making it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at an incredible price. And guys, if you don't have a perfectly tailored suit yet, it's a must. I'm, uh, I'm in that part of my life where I'm going to like six weddings a year and it, there's nothing better than showing up at a wedding looking great in a suit that fits At Indochino, you can choose from hundreds of top-quality fabrics to personalize your suit just the way you want it, whether it's for work, a wedding, or another special occasion. Indochino has suited up hundreds of thousands of men and are now the largest made-to-measure menswear brand in the world. Here's how it works. You visit a showroom or shop online at Indochino.com. You pick your fabric, choose your customizations, lapels, pleats, jacket linings, all kinds of stuff. You submit your measurements, Place your order and wait for it to arrive in just a few weeks. This week, our listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just 379 dollars at Indochino.com, entering FBT at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit, plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code FBT for any premium suit for just three seventy nine. dollars Also, whoever invented summer was obviously a sports fan. They didn't even try to hide it. They gave us playoff hockey, playoff basketball, as well as the opening for both soccer and baseball. It's a clear display of favoritism. The other seasons didn't stand a chance. With three months of clutch playoff drama and the awakening of new seasons, it's clearly the work of a sports fan. They might as well have called it sports season. And in fact, at Buffalo Wild Wings, they do call it sports season. So don't ever call it summer because that's just not what it is. It's sports season. They're just waiting on the legal change. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. All right, we've got Jonah Carey on the podcast. Obviously, Jonah Carey of CBSSports.com, SI Now, the Jonah Carey Podcast, and the Jonah Carey Show on CBSSports.com every Friday at two thirty. Jonah, how's it going? Enjoying your All Star break so far? Uh, it's a little crazy, fellas.
3: I'm running around, but uh, I did... my uh, pal Andre Dawson, we chatted a little bit. So that was Thanks, always good with the Expos, folks. So, yeah,
0: good stuff. That's awesome. All right. Uh, we had Ben Lindbergh on the show a little while ago, and we talked about the uh, the juice ball theory and the evidence behind that. What are your thoughts on that and how it's uh, impacted the majors so far this season?
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, Ben used uh, real research, so did Nicky Lickman, so did Rob Arthur, yeah. and I think that the preponderance of evidence suggests that there's something going on here, that the ball does seem to be juiced, and, and not only just juiced, but that the... Uh, you know, the seams have been changed. The higher seams create an easier, uh, easier for the pitcher to grip and also creates more wind resistance and the ball doesn't carry as much and the seams have been flattened. Major League Baseball gave a non-denial denial. denial. They basically said, well, it's within the normal range, but as Ben pointed out in his research, the range is gigantic. You know, it's basically, you know, the, the, the analogy I could use is, well, you know, you are an American male. You're within the normal range. Cool, within five foot two and six eight. Like that's a big. <laughs> there's a lot going on. If you're six eight, you're tall. If you're five two, you're not. And that's basically what it amounts to. And they're essentially, you know, the analogy would be more toward the six eight side in terms of how far the ball is traveling and how it explodes off the bat. And what's really interesting to me, there's kind of two types of power thing right now. Number one is this like Brett Gardner, Yonder Alonzo, Justin Smoak, Logan Morrison kind of thing, where guys who never hit for power in the majors have been in the majors for five, six, ten years, are now hitting for power. And then in addition to that, you're seeing guys like Cody Bellinger. Bellinger was a very good power hitter in the minors, but paradoxically, it's actually easier right now to hit home runs in the majors and the minors, because there's no evidence to suggest the ball juice the same way in the minors. So you could see other guys come up and really mash right away. Perfectly good prospects, but who hit even better than you expect. Didn't happen with, let's say, Louis Brinson, maybe a small sample size or whatever, but certainly Judge and Bellinger, and there might be other power prospects that whatever, for fantasy or for real life, if you're like, oh, God, you know, Austin Meadows is going to be up soon. Maybe he'll do something. Oh, bro, but he only hit five home runs in the minors, and then he hits like 15 in the second half. Like, that's not out of the question. To me, that something like that could happen.
0: Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting. Both Judge and Ballinger, before the season, were getting some hype based on their spring training performance, and then I looked at their minor league numbers, and I'm like, they're fine. They're probably going to be pretty good if they can make contact. And then they've been unbelievable. What's your... Favorite either MLB or professional sports conspiracy theory, since we're on the the topic of the juice ball. Do uh, you believe the draft lottery is rigged?
3: I'll give you one. I'll give you one. This is my own personal thing, okay? All right. So I believe the reliever usage is entirely uh, governed. I don't really talk about this in Blake, but uh, who cares? <laughs> I believe that in the past, maybe not so much now, but in the past, certainly, and maybe now, reliever usage is driven by drug usage or substance usage and i'll tell you exactly what i mean As always you know when you pitchers come in the ninth inning. oh one two three they breathe fire they do great they come in in the seventh or the eighth to get like just work in they haven't pitched in a week or whatever let's get our guys to work and they're awful (laughs) i believe that's because relief pitchers are used to ramping up substance use they're used to you know uh Okay, I know I'm coming in the ninth inning. And it could be anything, by the way. It doesn't have to be anything horribly listed. It could be coffee, it could coffee, be red, yeah. or whatever. Uh, and I'll give you, for instance, Troy Percival was interviewed by Tyler Kepner, I think it was Tyler Kepner, uh, while the Angels were on that big World Series drive in 2002. Percival was really great. guy. and K K-Rod dynamic combination. And they asked Percival, man, you come in there, and mean, it's starting fire. What are you doing? He says, I drink ten cups of coffee. <laughs> ten cups of coffee. So that he peaks by the ninth inning. And so I think guys have a routine where whatever they do, and again, maybe it could be five-hour energy. It doesn't have to be crank or whatever, <laughs> but I, I think there's something to that that they're off their game that way. And I think that, that when we look at it, forget about 10 people, when you look at it from an analytical point of view, why are you using your best relief pitcher in the ninth inning and make it sense. bring them in, bases loaded in the sixth? Well, that's a high-leverage situation. Guess what, buddy? He doesn't have a ten cups of coffee or a ten cups of crank or whatever, and that's the problem. I really, truly believe
2: that. Well, I know I know that Peter Moylan agrees with you. So his espresso machine's done wonder for the Royals. That's this year. true.
0: That's true. That's been a big uh, that's been a big story in Kansas City. I forgot about that.
3: But this has been my series since literally two
0: thousand two. That's fantastic. I am a huge fan of that. Uh, let's get into some of the uh, some of the topical MLB debates. You wrote about this uh, last week or two weeks ago, maybe. Scherzer or Kershaw? Who are you taking right now?
3: Uh, Well, I'm taking Kershaw, but, you know, the question sort of depends on the parameters a little bit, too. If you ask me who's the best pitcher in baseball, the best can't necessarily be who is the best, literally. The second, it has to be, by definition, a combination of track record and recent performance, because, like... If James Paxton threw five shutouts in a row, you wouldn't be like, well, James Paxton's not the best pitcher baseball because there's a certain amount of, not Paxton's bad, but there's a certain amount of reputation involved. Now, Scherzer has a good reputation, too, but Kershaw has literally been the best pitcher for, like, six or seven years now, so you can't just flip it automatically, and it's one thing if Scherzer is pitching like this and Kershaw is pitching badly, Kershaw's been awesome. So, yeah. you know, Kershaw has marginally better stats over the course of three months. That's not enough for me to knock one guy off. And I would also say that uh, we don't pay enough attention to um, strength of schedule, I don't think we do that enough, and and I, I say that as a fantasy player and in real life. Yeah. The NL East is hot garbage. It's <laughs> terrible. The Marlins can actually hit. They're you know they have some hitters, but generally speaking, the division is awful. And there's a lot of pushovers. You know that the Mets are very injured. The Phillies are brutally brutal. Scherzer hasn't necessarily faced all NL East competition, but go look at his game log sometimes. Like he faced like the Padres randomly twice. Like there's all these weird types of Giants. Like he's just, just mowed down weak competition, Kershaw's had a fair bit of Rockies and Diamondbacks, and not that the Padres and Giants are any good, but just if you look on the one-to-one basis, Scherzer is benefiting from that, and we still haven't really come, you know, we have kind of catch-all metrics, we have WAR, we have fifth, whatever, but I haven't seen one, or at least that I like and is easy to understand, that is strength of schedule baked into this stuff, that it really accounts for that, and and I don't like the undone schedule, I know why you do it, yeah. it's the Yankee threats like your rivals. Because Seattle can't travel to Tampa Bay every other week. I totally understand it. But from a fairness point of view, interleague is BS and so is the unbalanced schedule. Everybody should play the same number of teams the same number of times. You don't and so what ends up happening is team records change. And sometimes individual performance can change. And Scherzer is a great pitcher who is benefiting at least a little bit from that.
2: So sticking with the Kershaw-Scherzer theme, but a little different angle. You mentioned that Scherzer's been marginally better than Kershaw this year, lower ERA, lower whip, 14 more strikeouts, but he's scored 40 less fantasy points because of those stupid wins and losses. Those are those the two worst fantasy categories?
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But the thing is, I just don't treat fantasy like real life. Like, I don't get too agitated about it. I accept the fact that I'm going to look at whatever it is, park-adjusted, FIP, in one round, <laughs> and not even consider it in fantasy. Like, I just don't care. You just play the system in your belt, I guess, is, is kind of the answer to that question. So, you know, saves, like saves are pointless in your life. We just talked about reliever usage and all that stuff. I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. The only, and I'm only in one league at this point, which is my insane league of yeah. basketball and football, which is crazy. And the only thing that I've adjusted is I made a batting average OBP. Just because, you know, I don't mind. I, I kind of like Matt Carpenter and Adam Donner. I, I like those guys. I find it interesting when they walk a hundred times, there should be some reward. That's literally just a personal preference thing. It doesn't mean that whatever, batting averages is a John on fantasy or whatever. I don't, I don't really care. I must <laughs> personally like ODP as a scoring category. But I don't want park adjusted fit in my fantasy. I'm just, I'm, I don't, you know, it gets, I, I don't think it does that much.
0: It yeah. gets into kind of the, like, do you want the person who's best at this to win or do you want it to be hugely influenced by luck? And I think, you know, everybody plays fantasy football, and I think a big part of that That's is fair. it's random. You know, you can win fantasy right. football without having ever played or watched football, and I think that's there's there's value in that. Even if it's frustrating when you have the best team and you lose because Clayton Kershaw gets four more wins or whatever than than Max Scherzer. Um, right. Is Aaron Judge really this good? And if not, how good is he? What's the <laughs> What's the expectation moving forward? Well, just on the
3: to close that loop for a second. A, a lot of it is luck, and I don't think the Nationals are good, so it's not a great example, but generally speaking, Kershaw's getting a lot of wins because he plays for a really good team. I yeah. told you that. I'd I I'd pay an extra buck at the auction table for that. Crack an extra buck from the guy with, you know, like Jeff Samarzo. Jeff DeMarza's uh, strike of the lock ratio is preposterous. He's incredible. He looks like the like, best pitcher of all time. He's Pedro Martinez, <laughs> but he plays for the Giants. are horribly terrible. They have bad defense. They have bad run support. Is a four or five year end like four wins or whatever, yeah. You know, but you should know that. I, by the way, I own Jeff Samarja, so I'm not, it's not like I'm so smart or whatever. I did happen to get him on you know, a discount, but the point is, you know, you, you just it should be factored in. And we're talking about a re- relative degrees here. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of luck and this guy gets more wins or whatever, but if you really get down to the end of your season and your league is so closely matched that three wins by this guy versus this guy decides it, all right, but how often does that really happen? You know, most likely to you, you know, you. Drafted a bunch of Swamiels or you put you have a blook or whip or you know you just didn't you didn't get Alonzo and smoke and more like everybody yeah. else. It's very rare that it comes down to that. Whereas football's all luck. Like I find fashion football to be silly almost. But I you know, I again I buy into those rules and because I don't really follow football as closely, well, so it actually works to my advantage. I would hate if baseball is driven by randomness so much because I feel like I have knowledge. So if some schmuck got over <laughs> on me, I'd be like, well, gee, like that guy doesn't know as much about it. That gal doesn't know as much about baseball. Um the thing about Judge I mean, what happened was he always had raw power, right? Yeah. It was that he didn't know how to control the strike zone. That was the big issue. He didn't have it in the minors. His cup of coffee last year, he struck out, I want to say, 44% of the time in his 96 plate appearance. I think it's 96 plate appearances. If I'm right, that means I need to not watch <laughs> that much baseball. That's a little too much. But anyway,
0: um,
3: and then he started figuring it out. Now, part of that, obviously, I Discipline is two things, right? If you start hitting home runs, the pitchers don't challenge you as much. And also, if you figure out the strike zone, then you hit more home runs. But it really seems like, in this case, it was more him than pitchers that he really just sort of figured it out. That can happen. And then we don't have a, a comprehensive study. We sort of know when players peak, and we know this, we know that. But in terms of plate discipline, I don't even mean just walks, I mean just the ability to get ahead and account two zero well and to identify the pitch to crush, and all that stuff. We don't know exactly when it happens. You know, there's no like, precise peak range. It can happen early. It can happen later. Sometimes it happens after the physical time. It can happen in like, 30. Yeah. So, you know, in Judge's case, it just happened very quickly, and he's a guy with incredible bat speed and is very strong. And you look at the, you know, the home run revolution, what's going on. I just talked about Smoke. Uh, there's a home run, a class of home runs called wall scrapers, which is exactly what it sounds like. It falls and just barely go out. Smoke's got, like, 10 of those, you know? So, I mean, yeah, he's got the 20 home runs or whatever it is. That's indisputable. But the fact of the matter is that, it's, you know, if there's no juice ball, they're not going out. Judge is, like, taking out missiles in the sky, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, just satellites are going down when Judge goes to the plate. That's a different story. So I think the raw power is there, and he did figure out the strike zone. Uh, will there be an adjustment? Probably, but I'm I'm not willing to, to short him too hard. I think that there's a lot to it. The ballpark is beneficial. You know, I, I think that he's a superstar.
0: Weird thing about him that you don't see with a lot of power hitters, and a good comparison is Cody Bellinger the in the NL, who's kind of the – the yeah. B plus version of Aaron Judge in the NL is that Cody Bellinger's a a straight pull hitter, and we know Yankee Stadium yeah. a little more favorable to left handed batters. But Aaron Judge, I think, hits like seventy or eighty percent of his batted balls in the air to the center field or opposite side. That actually uh-huh. works to his benefit at Yankee Stadium. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, obviously, it's very
3: difficult. You know, it's hard like to hit the right center. So I think to try to pop it down the line there, where it's three four, I think three oh nine or three fourteen at the line, even like that just when you go out a little right center, it's still like 330, yeah. basically those shallow seats right there. Uh, that's harder to do. That sort of requires a weird swing or you really have to commit to an outside pitch. He's hitting them out, you know, still 385 out there to the right center to gap or whatever. So, yeah. uh, Or, to the right, you know, right center, center. So, yeah, you know, he does have that kind of swing. And I, I think that also makes you a little bit more slump-proof, right? I mean, if you're trying to pull on whatever, then if one thing goes wrong, then theoretically your mechanics are all messed up. You're trying to pull. You're in the at the second. If you're all out of whack. You know, yeah. it's... it's scouting one, right? You hit him where they're pitched and whatever, and that works for your advantage. And if you're Tony Gwynn, you hit him with a pitch, you dunk it into left, the opposite field, into left field. And if you're Aaron Judge, you hit a 500 feet at the right center or whatever. So, yeah, you know, the combination of, of raw power with real hitting skill, it seems like, you know, especially based on that number, uh, that tracks. You know, he really does seem to, to have it all together.
0: What's up with the Cubs? <laughs> Do you have any feel for it?
3: I have, uh, the way, I'm a very strange person, you know, my story ideas, I don't even have like a spreadsheet or whatever, I literally am, um, you know, I come across something, or it's on Twitter, I'll email myself a tweet or whatever from Derek Gould about the Cardinals or something, I just compile this stuff in my Gmail, and so I have a million unread emails or starred emails or whatever, like, oh, I'm going to use that for this week's column. this could be long form, whatever. And one of the threads is What's Up with the Cubs. Literally verbatim, <laughs> What's Up with the Cubs. And what I do is when I start a thread, it's email, right? So I just reply to each one. I have about 27 emails to myself un- nested under What's Up with the Cubs. Like Montero, the game where they stole 800 bases. That's one. And they can't throw it. Well, now he's gone. Patrice is a little bit better at it. But that was an issue where at one point. Lester being totally Jekyll and Hyde was another one. Russell being awful was another one. Schwarber, De- there guy that was like five emails about that. There's a lot of things wrong with the Cubs. And the point of building a team like that is that you're supposed to be inured to this stuff. You're supposed to be able to dodge it because they've got all kinds of talent. Like if you're, you know, we see that there's Blue Jays, they're pretty bad because they're old, right? So old yeah. guys, you know, they can all get old at the same time. That's it. But it's not just, you know, their veterans who are not good. Schwarber stinks. Russell stinks. You know, these younger guys. Brian is having a good year, not last year. not as good as last year. You know, we've yeah. just seen progression by young guys. We've seen old guys not perform. I wasn't as. What have them many devastating injuries? If anything, that Schwaber season ender is worse than anything that's happened to them this year. Nobody's on TJ or anything. Yeah. But, like, you know, Arietta's mechanics are all whack. He can't find the play. Like, he's not spotted the way that he did. It's just a lot of guys didn't perform well. And I think that if, if we run it back a 100 times, this confluence of circumstances might happen, like, two or three times. I really think they're just. Yeah, I don't want to say they're – I think they're more unlucky this year than they were last year. But last year, let's say they were playing at the 90th percentile of positive outcomes. They're, like, at the first percentile. It's just, like, you know, except for, like, devastating, mind-blowing injuries, everything has gone wrong. They just haven't really been able to execute anything. Russell, you know, aside from the on-field stuff, he's got the off-field, which is his own, you know, potentially his own doing. And I'm not excusing anybody, but just these things keep escalating. Uh, you know, so how do you fix something like that? I don't think they're going to fix all of it. I think that some of these things will work. I think that Lester maybe won't give up a ten spot his next. Start. Uh, you know, maybe Ariana starts finding the zone. Maybe you know, Schaub is back. Maybe hits some home runs. Maybe Ian half picks up the slack. Does this? Maybe Rizzo does that. You, you just sort of figure it out. But you know, everybody was producing for last year's Cubs, and half the roster isn't this year. You know, who's your who is the biggest overperformer on the Cubs this year? I guess. I don't know if I can think
0: of. I don't think they have anybody, anybody who's like overperforming.
3: Wade, yeah, like Wade Davis is really good. Wade Davis, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. not one guy who's like, wow, that guy came out of nowhere. I I Pablo up for 60 home runs. That's not happening.
2: Yeah, but all those things being said, I mean, you're still picking the Cubs to win the National League Central, right? I mean, I have
3: been, but there's going to come a point in we have to believe in the Brewers, and you know they're talking about going I'm getting Catana or Gray or whatever the trade deadline. I think they will. are you they're going to go out and get real another starter. Losing thing Anderson sucks. I mean, he was pitching really, yeah. really well. But they still have Nelson, they still have some functional pitching, and if they've got a Quintana, I mean, you know, that's a game changer. I think they'll be there. I think mass matters. The fact that they, I don't know, they're up by the last check, three and a half or whatever, but that's still not nothing. You know, it still means that one team has to get a little cold, one team has to get a little hot. I still like the Cubs, but, you know, every day I start to, you know, become more open-minded. I think that we have to be Open-minded about baseball, because things change. I wasn't ready to accept that Aaron Judge had great plates. one thing That's what the evidence suggests. Yeah. You know, the Brewers maybe they're a fluke, but like at a certain point, you know they've got eighty odd games where they've proven this. Corey and that up as a couple of comparisons, but you know they're starting to have these guys emerge. You have to start to take them seriously. So I could see that the Cubs to the favorites, but I'm not willing to bet the mortgage on it by any means.
0: All right, who's one player who will definitely have a better second half than their first half? Uh, ben Lindbergh said Kyle Schwarber, so that's a pretty yeah. obvious one, I think. I think uh, Justin Verlander, right? Like, he's yeah.
3: A nuclear disaster. <laughs> and, and, and the thing about – so I did an interview with Verlander last summer. Uh, I know mean, he gave me like 20 minutes. It was like a long four-minute podcast. Whatever. And he talked about the lat injury that he had. And he only missed a total of like twelve starts with that thing, yeah. but it's for a year and a half. Reduced his velocity, wasn't locating the thing. You could see that something was wrong with him. There's been nothing reported now, and his velocity's the same. He I think it's stuck. up. That is the technical term.
0: Yeah, I think his velocity's actually up this season. That's I, I like
3: right. Yeah, I think right. I have a good answer. And so when I don't have a good answer, I'm like, okay, well something will work out. Either he'll get into yeah. it, or he'll
0: get better. Go ahead. Who's one player who will definitely have a worse second half? Jason Vargas being an, another obvious example.
3: Yeah, I guess pitchers are easier because you look at their strikeouts to walk or whatever, so I yeah. guess I should give you a hitter. Uh, I'll say Justin Smoke. I mean, you know, the mm-hmm. fact that he's got that many home runs that are just clearing the tank, but that's that's a little bit of a fluke, um, so I could see that happening. I, I wonder about that whole country of hitters. I own, um, in that League of Leagues business, I picked up Yonder Alonso right yeah. before he went crazy. I've written it out, and you know he has had to three home runs in the last few games. But he didn't have a home run for like two weeks before that. And the other thing about Alonzo is it's not just that his performance is coming out of nowhere. He was also, in addition to hitting nine home runs, in his career high, one of the most injury-prone players in baseball. And I have tried to trade him to no success because people like, "It's Yonder Alonzo, dude. He's going to get hurt." So I almost feel like that's kind of like a Jason Vargas level obvious too. Vargas, uh, Alonzo's on take for thirty-six home runs. I would be uh, thirty-seven. I'd be very surprised about that.
0: All right, we'll just stick with the, the theme here. I was looking at Baseball prospectus Top 100 Prospects yesterday uh, from 2009 because there's been a theme where Smoke, Alonzo, Logan Morrison, Elvis Andrus, Mike Moustaka, Cameron Maven, all these guys are having outrageously good years just out of nowhere. These guys who have been in the league for seven or eight years. Who from that group of players do you think is real?
3: I like Barton. Yeah, maybe he hasn't quite as many home runs. He's got fourteen or
0: fifteen.
3: Cardener mm-hmm. has a diversity of skills, right? <clears throat> he's athletic, despite being in his mid thirties. this point, He's athletic. He draws walks.
0: Yeah. He. Good park. He, despite
3: not being a. Yeah, yeah. Despite not being a quintessential power hitter, he is a, a pretty significant pull hitter, especially this year. So he's absolutely short porch. Uh, I, I could I could see that. I, I, don't, I don't know. Is he going to hit forty five? No, but it, I think he's on pace for let's say 26, I think he can get there. You know, I I think that's about right. So I think that's just a late career bloom and we see that with guys occasionally, right? So
0: um,
3: I I guess he would be the guy. But, you know, one one or two of these other guys are going to, like Josh Donaldson was always a good talent, but he just kind of figured it out. He was early on this swing for the fences kind of thing. Yeah, It'll work for one of these guys. I can't tell you definitively that it'll be Logan Morrison, but maybe Logan Morrison, you know, I think that's possible. I I feel more comfortable shorting, uh, smoke to some extent in sign time, then I do declaring for sure that Morrison is for real, but maybe he's for real. Don't forget, he's doing this stuff in that, that park, too. That's bananas. I mean, that's really hard to in that
0: park. All right, how many people hit 50 home runs this season? We've got four on pace right now. Judge, Springer, Votto, and Stanton. How many get there?
3: Zero. Okay. nice. Bet the under. Always bet the under in baseball.
0: And how many three hundred?
3: Aaron 300 had forty nine home runs.
0: <laughs> how many three hundred strikeout seasons do we see? We've got two on pace, Chris Sale Max Scherzer. Gonna go with the same logic? Yes.
3: Especially with right. pitchers, right? Attrition is gonna happen. Somebody's gonna take a day off, or uh, I've got a dead arm. Give me a give me a Yeah, for sure. I don't thought I'll see three
0: hundred. All right, we're gonna close out the show with some rapid fire. We've got some dumb debates on the podcast that we always have. We're gonna have uh, our dumb guests. Dumb debates. Yeah, we're gonna have our guests settle them this week. So, what's your favorite cereal?
3: Uh there are two different answers to this because I eat the exact same cereal for breakfast, unless I'm like when I'm on a work trip it's different because you you know, you're not in your kitchen. But at home I eat the same cereal every day and I don't eat anything else. I don't eat toast, I don't have orange juice, I don't have eggs, I only eat this with milk every single day. Which is Raisin Brand.
0: That's two Raisin, bran. raisin Brands! Wow. Every,
3: every single day. That every is. Single day. Ben Lindbergh's answer was enough, Raisin Brand. But it's not like over the top. Is Lindbergh a Raisin Brand guy? Yeah. You?
0: That's amazing. Love it. Which is really not pretty close nothing, to but, Scott's Cracklin Oat Brand. Yeah. So.
3: I, I'm not at the same level as Lindbergh, but I'm also like a workout guy. I work out all the time too. Okay. And I think that's just something about like, when you work out, at night, there's going to be a point when you're going to have six eggs or a protein shake or whatever. Like, So you go to bed at like 1130 having eaten or consumed a lot because maybe you went to the gym at night or something like that. So when you wake up in the morning, you're like, I can't have eggs, bacon, and pancakes because it's disgusting. <laughs> I just had a bunch of eggs <laughs> at night. So you wake up, I bed. So I wonder if you start I, having a raisin bread. That would be the follow-up question. I bet it's like a serious, a keyless way of big time. But, uh, you know, I thought... I can that's the reason for me I just physically can't want to have a lot of food when I up.
2: okay and next is Moneyball a top five sports movie
3: well let's see if I can think of my favorite sports movies and then we can do it by default um, League of Their Own is for sure one of the top five The Sandlot is for sure one of the top five interesting well no but not to count so Rocky Hoop Dreams
0: yeah yeah all right, so we're getting real close. That's four. Is Caddyshack a sports movie? Otherwise. Does that get in there? Of course it is.
3: Caddyshack's so weird.
0: Oh,
3: <laughs> uh, well, Major Major League. I like Major League. Okay, so I no. Like
0: good answer, yeah. good answer. No, it's not. Is Aerosmith a good band?
3: Wow, that's a really hard question. <laughs> that's one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked. And I like that you're not clarifying. You're not like, whoa, that was from 1989. Nope, good or bad. I'm going to say that. Yes!
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. They
3: were good when Steven Tyler, when his voice, like, Draymond is in my favorite song, but it's objectively a, a, a fine song, and he had a lovely, like, this melodic voice, and he just killed it. By the, like, 1977, it was finished. Like, he, there's so much heroin, man. <laughs> like, it just, he killed his voice. Joe Perry's a play Like, they had yeah. you know, like, they're, when they're, when are lead vocalist, just, is bad. Like, what are you gonna do? So, yeah, no, not, not in, not if I don't, not enough body of work for me to uh justify everything that happened. Pretty much after like nineteen
2: eighty. Okay, we're moving over to cold cuts now. <laughs> ham or turkey?
3: Oh, I hate ham. Yes, <laughs> I, 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 I'm Jewish. I, I eat bacon and stuff like that, but there's something about ham in particular. Deli like, ham is like slimy. Ham around the
0: house. Go ahead. Deli ham is like slimy. It's gross. It's not good.
3: Right. Well, ham is also a broad thing, right? So what are we talking about? So the thing about it, I don't like any American ham. I don't like deli ham. I don't like the really fancy black forest ham. But prosciutto, I love. Prosciutto
0: is okay.
3: kind of ham. People just don't think of it that way. Uh, I also don't like turkey very much, by the way, either. I think that turkey's like a... What do you got? I guess turkey. turkey's <laughs> fine. Ham's bad. Turkey's fine. But I'm not a fan of either one particularly. Necessarily.
0: All right, the next question is just raisins, question mark? Yes or no? Uh...
3: Like a pack of sun made raisins, like as a snack? Yeah. <laughs> in our, uh, <laughs> it's a funny question. So, uh, when I was growing up, uh, we, my mom would buy raisins. They'd buy like 12 little, you know, little packs, whatever you throw in your lunch. And one day, uh, my sister grabbed a pack of raisins, or whatever, so it was in her lunch. She comes back from school. I'm like 12. She's nine or whatever. And, uh, she says, for, uh, Little bugs within the raisins, and they were hard to see because the raisins are black, and that's why. And like that's even yeah. So even though I read raisin bran every day, there's something about the pack of raisins that I'm like, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Even though it didn't happen to me, it was like 30 years ago or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, eh, I don't know. So now I guess
2: that's funny. You and Ben both say raisin bran is your favorite cereal, and both say no to raisins.
3: I like it. I appreciate. Wow. It. I bet ben is uh, you know an unbelievable talent, a truly like good guy, whatever, like any any company that I in with is
0: <laughs>
3: Okay, all, is all the good, every everything you get out for in a in a person in a sports writer Ben, is is fantastic. I cannot
0: not have enough budget.
2: High praise. Is Die Hard a Christmas yeah. movie?
0: Yes. Okay. Easy enough. Are peeps good?
3: No, but I don't like marshmallows, so you might be asking the wrong guy. I don't marshmallows but I don't like I like s'mores well enough but it's the chocolate part that I like. So I'm yeah. not to so peeps, which are a bad version of <laughs> <after life.
0: laughs> All right, Jonah, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time, and I appreciate you taking the uh, the dumb debate questions as seriously as you did.
3: It's very important. Listen, there are no <laughs> dumb debates. It's the hot dog is a sandwich, all this stuff. Like These are the elemental things. Whatever. Aaron judges, you know, he'll retire eventually. These debates, raisins will always be a thing. Aaron Judge not want to be a thing for 12 more years or whatever. We have to get the important stuff right. I totally
0: respect what you're doing. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much.